Hello everyone, I'm Rachel Moss and I'm a transfusion practitioner in London, England. I work at Great Ormond Street Hospital for Children. I'm delighted to bring you another of our transfusion practitioner podcasts. This is the fourth in our series and today we'll be exploring the investigation of transfusion incidents. It's one of the many activities that transfusion practitioners may undertake as part of their role. We'll also discuss how this contributes to haemovigilance. And if you're not sure what transfusion practitioners are, you may want to go back and listen to our first podcast about what is a transfusion practitioner. We are very fortunate to be able to bring you this podcast thanks to the support from the International Society of Blood Transfusion known as ISBT. ISBT is a global community of professionals sharing knowledge to enhance transfusion practice and blood management. The Society does this by providing opportunities for advancing knowledge and education and by advocacy for the welfare of blood donors and patients. ISBT has many working groups that focus on specific topics or areas of practice, and one of those is the Transfusion Practitioner subgroup. So I'm joined today by four amazing transfusion practitioners or people who work as part of the Transfusion Practitioner subgroup, and I'm going to introduce them. Uh, one by one. So when I say their name, they will give you a little bit of information about themselves and then I'll introduce our next one. So I'm going to start with Lindley Bilby. Hi, everybody. I'm Lindley Bilby and I'm, my role is the manager of the Blood Matters program in Victoria, Australia. And that's a quality improvement program about transfusion and patient blood management. I'm also have the pleasure of being the chair of the International Society of Blood Transfusion, Transfusion Practitioner uh, Forum, which um, with all of us lovely people that are talking to you today. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks, Lindley. So next on my list is Claire O'Reilly. Hi, uh, yes, my name is Claire O'Reilly. I am a transfusion safety nurse, uh, clinical nurse clinician, <laughs> should know my own title, <laughs> uh, at British Columbia's Children's and Women's Hospital, um, background in nursing and a long background in transfusion practice. and really excited to be part of the ISPT TP forum and um, continuing to do our podcasts. Thank you. Thank you very much, Claire. Next is Jana. Uh, hi, I am Jana. I'm a transfusion practitioner uh, in the University Hospital in Brussels, Belgium. And I also work for the health authorities in Belgium, uh, more specifically for um, a platform that is aiming to improve the transfusion practice and to optimize the blood use in Belgian hospitals. And of course, we are also trying to support the Belgian hospitals to implement PBM. Brilliant. Thanks, Jana. And last but not least, I promise you, I have Louise Trapp. Hello, everybody. I'm the patient blood management clinical nurse consultant at Liverpool Hospital, one of the major trauma centers in southwestern Sydney, Australia. Thank you very much. So what I'm going to do is just ask our panel here a series of questions about team of vigilance, incident management, the role of the transfusion practitioner, and then uh, we'll see how the next half an hour goes. So I'm going to start with Lindley. Hemovigilance was mentioned in the introduction I gave. Can you tell me what is hemovigilance? Thanks, Rachel. Well, hemovigilance is an integral part of the trans of transfusion medicine. The, uh, there are lots of different definitions about hemovigilance, but the International Society of Blood Transfusion's definition of hemovigilance it, it's, is that it comprises 
sorry, um, surveillance procedures covering the whole transfusion train. That's from the collection of blood um, and all its components to the follow-up of its recipients or for the patients that receive it. To put it in another way, it refers to the quality management of the entire transfusion chain, that from the donor to the patient. The aim is to ensure that the safety of blood, the safety of the blood products, the safety of the blood components, but also the safety of the transfusion. Um, here, both the management and prevention of adverse events play a, criti a critical role. Um, more precisely, haemovigilance involves detecting and analysing any unplanned effect of the blood donation or the transfusion that could develop and implementing recommendations to prevent the recurrence of any of these um, incidents or adverse events that can occur. It implies that methods of um, identifying errors are used, that we actually um, manage these adverse events, that we um, include reporting reactions. So it's investigating any complaints that there might be, it's looking at the traceability systems that we might have in place to monitor the use of blood products. And it also looks at notification systems and um, audit of practice. So it covers the whole area. Wow. So this is ISBT. Uh, I think different countries, do they have different systems, Claire? Yes, yes. As you pointed out, it's the International Society for, for Blood Transfusion. So yes, there's variation between countries and sometimes within countries that have uh, states and provinces. Um, some countries have national hemovigilance systems that includes centralized data collection, while others may collect data at the local or state level only. Reporting may be mandatory or voluntary restricted to reporting of severe events only or reporting of both minor and severe events. And finally, systems may restrict reporting, reporting to recipient that is patient related events only, while others report both donor and recipient events. The ISBT Hemovigilance Working Party have many resources on their uh, ISBT web on their page of the ISBT website uh, for countries that are planning to develop a national hemovigilance system. So we encourage you to look on the website. That's really useful, Claire. Um, Yana, I'm going to ask you, what sort of information is collected? Um, so uh, different systems collect different types of uh, data. Uh, today we are we will talk about adverse events, sometimes called unwanted events. Uh, for example, local vena puncture accidents, iron depletion, and uh, mild to severe transfusion reactions. Uh, to help people report to them, hemovigilance systems will have specific definitions. You will hear terminology such as adverse events, incidents, and near miss. Different definitions exist, but here we will use definitions uh, from the Australian Commission on Safety and Quality in Healthcare, National Safety and Quality Health Service Standards, second edition. So an adverse event is an incident that results or could have resulted in harm to a patient or consumer. A near miss is a type of adverse event. Then we have an incident. 
a clinical incident is an event or circumstance that resulted or could have resulted in unintended or unnecessary harm to patient or consumer or a complaint, loss or damage. An incident may also be a near miss. And then last but uh, not least, we have a near miss. This is an incident or potential incident that was averted and did not cause harm, but had the potential to do so. Wow, that's very helpful. Uh, Louise, what can cause a transfusion incident or reaction? So Rachel, there are many factors that can cause or make patients more susceptible to adverse events. So I will be talking at the main ones that I would consider when carrying out my investigations. So I would look at patient-related factors such as previous transfusion history, because being elderly or very young could put some patients at a higher risk. Now the blood component, some components such as platelets are known to have high incident of reactions. There are also procedural factors. From what I've seen, the majority of these incidences occur as a result of failure to follow procedures or having an inadequate or unclear procedures in place. Having inappropriate or poorly maintained equipment could also lead to an adverse event. There are factors associated with administration of blood components that should also be considered. Some medications and intravenous fluids when given as a co-infusion or given at the same time as the transfusion can interfere with the product and cause clotting. Infusion rates, like when the transfusion is given too rapidly, could lead to the risk of transfusion-associated fluid overload. If given too slowly, can result in exceeding the recommended infusion times. Human factors play a very significant part in why some incidents occur. Now, for those that are unfamiliar with what this is referring to, Human factors as defined by the Chartered Institute of Ergonomics and Human Factors in 2021 is a scientific discipline concerned with the understanding of interactions amongst humans with the other elements of a system. Having an awareness of human factors within healthcare could help us understand why healthcare staff make errors and in particular, which system factors threaten patient safety. It can improve the safety culture of teams and organizations, enhance teamwork and improve communications between healthcare staff. It could also lead to improving the design of systems and equipment by recognizing and identifying their influence in making errors. So if you'd like to know more information about human factors, we would suggest you have a look at the UK serious hazards of transfusion. Brilliant, lots of good information there. Thanks very much. Lindley, why is investigating transfusion incidents an important part of the transfusion practitioner role? Well, a key part of the transfusion practitioner role is to promote safety. Um, and uh, that means promoting safe transfusion practices to ensure patient safety. Investigating transfusion incidents, uh, whether they're a transfusion reaction or an adverse event is part of their role. Um, analyzing these incidents actually provides us with insights that can be used to actually improve our protocols or set up quality improvement projects to prevent recurrence. Transfusion practitioners, when they're um, undertaking this, use a no-blame approach. So when they're investigating the incidents, they seek opportunities to learn from these incidents and errors and events rather than put a blame on anybody. They encourage staff to always report the incidents so we can learn and actually help um, prevent the same errors from occurring and, and even sharing that information to help others so that that same event um, will not occur for them as, as well. That's really useful. 
Claire, what's the role of the transfusion practitioner when a transfusion reaction actually happens? Thanks, uh, Rachel. Yes, the transfusion practitioner can be very active in following up on transfusion reactions. Um, they will review the transfusion reaction report and decide if the reaction requires further investigation, such as a review of the patient chart for additional information and uh, consulting with clinical and laboratory staff um, as necessary. They will also review the case. They may also review the case with the transfusion medicine specialist or equivalent, include the case in reporting to the blood, man blood management committee or equivalent, and act on the committee's recommendations for practice improvement as necessary. They may submit the final report to the National Hemovigilance Office as required, and also identify gaps in knowledge and or opportun and opportunities for improvement and share recommendations for practice improvement with clinical staff. So that's it's closing the loop on making sure that all recommendations are making their way back to staff. Yes, very, very useful. Uh, Jana, so when a transfusion practitioner is actually investigating an incident, what sort of things are you looking for or looking at, looking for and looking at? Um, so a TP will gather all kinds of information. You will start uh, to ask yourself what happened, when did it happen, where did it happen, did it happen in a care unit or in a blood bank or on the way to the care unit, who were involved, uh, did materials or equipment uh, play a role, for example, was there a problem with the scanner for the identification of the patient and blood bag? Uh, was there a problem in the way blood uh, units are arranged in the blood fridge? Uh, also, you will collect information about who else was maybe present during the incident. Could the environment have played a role in the incident? Um, which procedures uh, should have been followed, where they followed, um, what is the departmental culture like, how things are normally done. For example, if there is a procedure of electronic blood tracking, um, do the doctors or nurses systematically use the scanner and so on. Um, and it's also very important to visit the location of the incident. Uh, and it can help to make a report, write a description of the place where it took, uh, where the incident happened. Uh, and then depending on the incident, if it's a severe incident, it's always interesting to um, make a timeline uh, to structure all your information that you gathered. And this will give you a nice overview of the incident. Uh, and then in general, another important task for TPs is um, to prepare an overview of all incidents and reactions with graphs uh, to compare trends over the years. And then these graphs can be presented to the transfusion committee, blood management committee or equivalent. Oh, that's an awful lot of information to gather. Yeah. But, um... Louise, what would you say are the essential elements that we as TPs need when we're investigating these incidents? The, the, the essence of 
incident reporting is to gain insight into the hidden and active risks within the organization to prevent them from reoccurring in the future. So the goal is not to assign blame. By asking open-ended questions when gathering information about an incident, you're likely to get more comprehensive answers. Try to analyze all evidence as impartially as possible to avoid attribution bias. Avoid asking why questions as it could lead to defensive answers and don't forget to lead the conversation with the good actions of the involved professionals. Most incidences have more than one cause. Often we're not immediately aware of all the causes. So after gathering the information of a series of incident, it could be useful to make a fishbone or cause tree diagram to visualize all the causes. Remember, although the victim of the incident is the patient, we shouldn't forget the secondary victims, which are the involved professionals. A major incident can provoke a huge sense of guilt. Check if there's an employee support program at your hospital to overcome this. It is important for a TP to also have the backing of the blood management or transfusion committee or equivalent when with nursing and medical leadership to investigate the incidences. Otherwise, their role may also be questioned at times. Yeah, yeah. So, Claire, thinking about uh, preventing incidents and reactions, where does the TP role fit into that? Thanks, Rachel. So we see again that the transfusion practitioner can play a vital role. Um, blood component safety is well established. However, human factors, as we've already pointed out, may result in transfusion incidents and they, and they continue to be a significant risk in the transfusion process. The TP can help prevent transfusion incidents. For example, delivering education on the importance of positive patient identification and checking of the blood components pre-transfusion to, to reduce the risk for the patient. The TP can explain that the checks are there to prevent wrong blood to patient and that they are essential for patient safety. They can also be involved in measures to prevent transfusion reactions. For example, providing education about the importance of the pre-transfusion patient assessment and identification of any transfusion risks, such as transfusion-associated circulatory overload, TACO for short. Hemovigilance data shows that TACO remains a significant transfusion risk, especially for pediatric and elderly patients, and that the incidence of TACO can be reduced by using a risk assessment tool. For example, a TACO checklist. The TP could introduce a TACO checklist to the pre-transfusion patient assessment and share evidence about TACO checklists, which help embed them into practice. Finally, the TP can share lessons learned from reaction and incident investigations and help adopt any recommendations for practice improvements resulting from analyzing of these events into local or national policy. Because the transfusion practitioner is critical for all these events, both helping to prevent and getting information. Uh, Lindley, where could our listeners find more information or resources about what we've discussed here? Well, Rachel, people could go to the ISBT webpages, so the International Society of Blood Transfusion. They could look at our transfusion practitioner page, which I'll show you, tell you how to get to shortly. But they could also look at the hemovigilance page because there's a special subgroup that actually talks about hemovigilance and they have their own webpage as well. Another excellent resource is the United Kingdom Serious, Serious Hazards of Transfusion, which is known as SHOT. Their website has a plethora of 
uh, really amazing tools that people um, can use and just little statements and things there that are very, very helpful. So I encourage people to have a look there as well. Now, to try and find the Transfusion Practitioner page on the ISBT website, we ask the um, listeners to select the working groups when they go into the front page. Then under the working groups, select the Clinical Transfusion Working Party page, and that's where you'll find the TP page, the Transfusion Practitioner page. There are lots of links there to hemovigilance resources, and there's an also a link there to a Transfusion Today article about the role of the Transfusion Practitioner in hemovigilance. And also, if the listeners have got any further questions, they could contact us through the ISBT office. Thanks, Lindley. Well, thank you all of you for sharing your time and experiences today. Uh, the role of transfusion practitioner is so diverse and is so critical to looking at investigations of within transfusion incidents and reactions. Thanks so much for all our listeners today for joining us on the podcast. If you have any feedback, please do use the questions that we've linked with the podcast. If you have further questions, you can link in with us by visiting the ISBT website, as we've discussed, and check out our Clinical Transfusion Working Party, where you'll find more details. We really look forward to having you join us for our next episode, where we're going to focus on the activities of the transfusion practitioner uh, related to education. And we've touched on education today, so you'll see how it links in. And there we're going to include some tips and resources to assist with that. Until then, thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.